Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsman find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. I'm your host, Captain Judd Brock, and today I talk with Captain Jonathan Moss of Go Castaway Fishing Charters and the Captain's Log TV show. We discuss his shallow water fishing for redfish, snook, and tarpon, as well as his incredible TV show that can be found on Waypoint TV. If you like light tackle fishing, you do not want to miss this episode. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast, as well as other video content that you can't find on YouTube. Well, guys, hope you all enjoy the show. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with me today. Excited to have you on to talk about your guide business and your TV show and just your life in fishing. Um, but let's start out with uh, you just kind of introducing yourself, telling people who you are and how you've how you've come to where you are today in your fishing career. Hey, absolutely. And Judd, thank you so much for having me here. It's a uh, privilege and honor to be able to talk to you today and to be a part of uh, the Eastern Current podcast. So thank you again for the invitation. Yeah, I'm a full-time guide here in Orlando, Florida. I've been guiding both fresh and saltwater for seven years now. Uh, coming up on my, I start my eighth year in June. Prior to that, I was a full-time teacher, so which is why I started guiding full-time in June. I started at the end of the school year, uh, kicked off that summer break by turning in my two-week notice, which was so awesome and so fulfilling. <laughs> like, hey, I'm going off to summer break, and I'm not coming back in <laughs> August. Summer for the rest of my much. life. Yep, I'm done with school. I've been doing school way too long. That's uh, incredible. I've been guiding now, uh, coming up on uh, starting my eighth year. Um, and then three years ago, we started the TV show. Uh, we actually released yesterday, three years ago yesterday, we released the promo. 
and then we released our first episode May 15th, 2020. So as the world was losing its mind with everything going on, we were hustling and grinding and filming a TV show and uh, figuring it all out as we went um, and bouncing around from ramp closures to ramp closures to, you know what, man, there is a gap right there. Boat through and then park way down the street and then if we get a ticket we get a ticket but <laughs> we uh fought through it and launched that first season um may of 2020 and here we are wrapping up uh season four so it's been uh it's been a journey my friend and um every day is a new day and every day is a new day to learn something about fishing about the fishing industry about filming uh, and, and about being a better guide and uh, and that's what my passion is that's awesome, man. That that's really really cool. So when where did it start? Where'd your fishing passion start? Did you grow up in Florida? When did you kind of fall yeah. in love with with the whole world of fishing? Born and raised here in Orlando, Florida. My dad started taking me uh, fishing for bluegill when I was three years old, and uh, you know, pun intended, I have been hooked ever since. And that's awesome. and I feel like there's a lot of people have that similar story. Uh, but for us here in Orlando, we're an hour to the coast. And when I was seven years old, my parents, uh, with my aunt and uncle, the, the two families joined together to buy a condo in Cocoa Beach. And so now this whole new world of fishing opened up. Uh, we alternated weekends. They would go one weekend and then we'd go the next. So one weekend we'd be bass fishing in Orlando. And then the next weekend we'd go saltwater out in the Indian River Lagoon, Banana River Lagoon, Mosquito Lagoon, or, or just fishing from the beach there in Cocoa Beach. Um, it opened a whole new world of fishing for me. Uh, so I'm very blessed in the sense that I, I got the opportunity to grow up doing both fresh and salt water. We didn't do a ton of the offshore stuff. Uh, we didn't have the boat for it. Um, but the inshore stuff we did a lot of, and then we had a family friend that had an offshore boat. Um, so we got out a couple times a year with him and, and just did bottom fishing. So I've uh, been blessed to be able to do a little bit of all of all that fishing and dabble and a little bit, you know, everything Florida has to offer all since I was three years old. That's awesome. Man, what a cool area to grow up into. Were you, a, I know this is probably a question you get a lot being from Orlando. Were you a big Disney kid growing up? Bro, I'm still a big Disney kid. Are you kidding? <laughs> my uh, my wife had a friend in town who left this morning, and they actually went to Disney yesterday, and I was a little little jealous. Heck, yeah. We're going so. in February. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> we, we, we love it, man. We freaking love Disney. It's so much fun. Uh, not looking at the political stuff and all the stuff they've been doing lately, but for us, we when I was teaching, I taught not far from Disney, and at the time I was dating my wife, she was a nurse, and so – we never had a, a schedule that was similar because her, her, her uh, three twelves a week. But on her days off, when she'd come pick me up at the end of the day at school, we'd go to Disney World. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. You know, a few hours before I was kids, and now I'm on a roller coaster screaming my head off and having a blast. Yeah, man, we, we love awesome. going out to, to the theme parks. That's super cool, man. I'm jealous that you are so close. And just so close to so <laughs> many cool, dynamic fisheries, too, like – um, oh, some, absolutely. And, and fisheries that will make, that make you a good angler from, I've spent a little bit of time fishing Indian river lagoon and mosquito lagoon and those fish they're, they're plentiful and it's great fishing, but they're technical. Um, and I feel oh, like yeah. that applied with your bass fishing that you're doing, um, is just a really cool, it's just a, a, a I feel like it would breed a, a, a well-rounded angler, which I mean, guiding bass and saltwater seems to be 
I mean, you've got to be pretty pretty well rounded. If you kind of walk me through that, what does that look like to to guide both? Is that kind of as a client? Is there an option to like, hey, I want to do freshwater or saltwater, or you kind of say, hey, the bass fishing is really good right now? How how does that work for you? Yes. So all of the above. So when a client calls, when a potential client calls, I want to book a fishing charter. I say, you know, do you want to go freshwater or saltwater? The benefits are if you are that family that's going to Disney World and you might not have a a rental vehicle. So you could Uber uh, to the bass fishing, which is about 20 minutes from from Disney. So there's that side of it. The saltwater is an hour and 20 minutes from Disney. So there's that convenient side. Right. The other part of it is um, people can bass fish all over the country. So a lot of my clients don't want to go bass fishing because they do it a lot at home. Right. Some call specifically because they want to do, they want to catch that Florida strain largemouth bass. Um, so I get both. I get both. But having the ability to do those or the option to do both for my clients has been tremendous. Or, hey, a cold front's moving in tonight. It's going to be blowing tomorrow out on the flat. It's going to be cold. It's going to be windy. It's going to be really tough because, like you said, those fish are technical. You have to make the right presentation. And when it's tough to get out there because the wind's blowing, there's very few places places to hide. And even if you can hide from the weather or the wind, doesn't mean the fish are going to be there. But then bass fishing opens up an an option for us. You know, yeah, we can get out. It doesn't matter how windy it is. We can go bass fishing and find a shoreline that's protected and there's going to be fish there. Yeah. So uh, I like having both. Um, and I, I, I do both enough where if I spend a whole week bass fishing, I don't feel like I'm undergunned or unprepared for the saltwater side or vice versa. If yeah. I go out and spend a couple of weeks saltwater, then I get a bass trip. I don't feel like I can, not go out and, and provide an opportunity and, and a great experience for my clients because I spend a lot of time doing both. Yeah, de- um, most definitely. And it's, for me, the tug's the drug. I like catching fish. Me so too. I'm just as excited catching a largemouth bass as I am catching a slot redfish. You know, I just, I like, I like fighting fish. I like the tug. I like the whole experience. So, and that's, you, uh, you so really can't care. beat the hook set on a largemouth bass. I mean, that is one of the best feelings in the entire world when you get a bite from a bass that you can really just lean into. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah. And you know, to. I, um, really simple. I go bass fishing with one lure. Literally, I have a box full of one lure. It's a jerk bait, the number eight Rapala X wrap. And I tell you what, I got 50 of them in that box. And they're all black and silver. And I don't care your experience level. And I don't care how big or small this fish is. It's going to hit it like a freight train. Yeah. And half awesome. the time, they hook themselves because they're so aggressive. Yeah. And a lot of times down here, specifically on this lake that I'm, I'm guiding on, they will boil on the surface. They will blitz on bait, right? Yeah. It's like tunas offshore or Jack Crevel's inshore. They go absolutely bananas, boiling on the surface, blowing bait up. If you throw in there, you'll catch two at the same time. It's like a group of teenage boys. You put a plate of, of pizza rolls in front of them. You know those things you get out of the freezer you put in your <laughs> oven? Those little pizza rolls, they devour those things in seconds. That's what these fish do. And they're so competitive with, with each awesome. other. So when that's happening, dude, it's so much fun. 
and you're sight fishing them. Yeah. So you, I mean, I tell them if you're if you're off to the right and the fish are blowing up on the left, reel in fast and chuck it over there, and you're gonna just hold on. It's yeah. gonna happen so fast, and you can't beat that in fishing. It's so much fun. No, you really can't. You really can't. It's uh, it, the visual aspect. Even so, so many people that have never tried it or think that, you know, they, they, they like the speckled trout fish. So there's a lot of people in North Carolina and Virginia up here that, like, they'll spend the entire year just targeting speckled trout. There's tons of other stuff going on, but they want to catch big trout. But then all of a sudden you take them to sight fish for redfish, and the visual aspect, being able to see the eat, see the fish before it even there's a bait in the water, it's just a, it's a whole new game. So well, I, uh, I'm a firm believer inshore saltwater sight fishermen anglers they can they can catch fish anywhere because if you can do that and do it successfully you can go catch anything you can go anywhere and throw a lure and catch anything because that game is very 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 difficult yeah uh and yet so rewarding and seeing that especially for the fly guy and handing them a fly that i have tied and then watching them present to a fish, even if they tied it, watching them present something they created to a fish and watching the fish react and respond to how you are presenting and working and, and fishing. Oh my goodness. Even if it's not a fly, even if it's a plastic, right. seeing it's, that fish it's rewarding. respond. Oh my goodness. That is, that is the hunting of fishing. Uh, and that, that is very high on my list, my favorite ways to fish. I love polling. I love the teamwork. Uh, I, I say there's three jobs that have to happen. I have to put you in front of the fish. You have to cast to the fish, and the fish has to eat it. And when those three things come together, oh, my goodness. I mean, that's, that's why we get up early. That's why we grind. That's why we prepare so much. Uh, fresher salt, that is, that's, what, that's what I'm looking for every single time I go fishing. Heck, yeah. It's it's cool to kind of figure out what lights people's fires when it comes to fishing. Everybody's a little bit different. Everybody likes something a little bit, a little bit different. But that man, that's super cool. So, in the saltwater world, what does that look like for you? What kind of boat are you running? What what is your fishing style when it comes to saltwater and, and the areas that you fish down there around Orlando? Yeah, so I use the same boat for fresh and salt. I'm in a skiff, 18 foot skiff. It floats six inches of water. I don't need a ton uh, of water to get around which is great. It's super stable, uh, as stable as you can get first. Yeah. Um, and then I'll run four people on it, myself plus three, which it can be tight and can be tricky, but the boat handles it and gets it done. Um, same deal going bass fishing. It's a great boat. And then I have, a I have a second boat that allows me to take up to six people, uh, which can be a little bit crazy having six people <laughs> all swinging plugs around you. That can be a little bit crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm running a skiff. Uh, 60 horsepower at Merck on the back. So it's, it's light. Does everything I needed to do. Um, and then repeat your question. I started t- talking about a boat and I, I forgot where I was going. No, you're good. I, I was just kind of asking l- l- or jumping into the saltwater side of your business and, and the style of fishing that you're doing. So if you, if you've got yeah. a day, you got yeah. perfect weather, uh, someone's fishing with you, you know, in the saltwater world there around Orlando or yeah, an hour from. It, it depends on how many people I have. If I have one or two people, you know, or if I don't have kids, I, I want to go sight fish. Uh, and that really depends on, on really a few things. Water clarity is the biggest part. 
Um, if we can't see in the water, which I'm okay with because it lets us get a little bit closer to the fish. Now we're sight fishing differently. We're looking for tails. We're looking for pushes. Uh, we're power fishing until we find a group and then we'll kind of slow way down and make our presentation. If the water's super clear, we're going quiet. We're going stealth mode. We're being ninjas. We're really being focused on how we're presenting to our fish uh, so that we don't spook them. You can see the fish, more likely they can see you. If I have kids, though, then it's, I, I get this call all the time. Hey, I'm a dad, and I got two kids coming with me. Okay, is this trip about you or is it about the kids? Because if it's about the kids, then I'm going to change how I fish. Uh, when I have kids, it's all about keeping them busy. Right. And I want to find I want to find that school of trout, the schoolie trout, those are from 12 to, to 17 inches. Those are the fish I want to find. We're still going to throw something that's easy for them to just, you don't have to cat, you don't have to sight fish them, but we're going to find an area where they can just kind of zone, they can bomb in their, their plastics or their jerk baits and work that lure back. Something all I have to do is just real, something real basic keep those kids busy and then if i have to bring bait with me i'm not a big bait guy i don't i'm not good at the bait and weight i'm not good at sitting um that's my least favorite style of fishing but sometimes if you want to catch a big fish you got to soak a big bait and uh but that's not my favorite way i'd rather go out and push and look um, but it really just depends on on who's on my boat um and i try to ask as many questions as i can to the client ahead of time so that when they show up that morning, I'm not figuring it all out. Oh, okay. You, you're not, you can't cast. Well then let's do this. Or you've never done this. Oh, wait, you've fished a ton. You're like, you can do that. Oh, perfect. No, no, no. These are things I want to know ahead of time. So when I get there, I'm prepared and they're, they're ready for their experience for the day. For sure. Being able to plan out ahead of time, kind of what you're going to do. So what what species of saltwater fish can you find there in the Indian, Indian River Lagoon and Mosquito Lagoon? What are you targeting on a regular basis? Our redfish, trout, black drum are here year-round. Uh, when it's warm, so April-ish to November-ish, snook and tarpon as well. Sweet. It really just depends on water temperature if those guys are going to be around. Um, but those are my five species that I'm, I'm constantly looking for. I'm constantly going after uh, and then the big three being redfish, trout, black drum. They're here year round. Awesome. Um, so I like I like the warmer simply because you have five different species. That's and then we'll do we will get our occasional schools of Jacksonville come through. Um, you know, if we have if I have summertime and I have a bunch of kids, dude, we're gonna go wreck the ladyfish because they're amazing and they're so much fun. And if you think they're trash fish, you missed it. They provide so much excitement especially for newbie anglers. They're a lot of fun as well. Um, but mainly the, those, those five redfish, trout, black drum, speckled, uh, snook, and tarpon. There we go. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader. And I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. 
Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their seven foot medium light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. Do, so are the snook and tarpon completely leaving y'all systems in the, in the colder months and coming back, or do they fall to deeper water? Man, I wish. Uh, we just had uh, a big cold front come through Christmas or Christmas Eve. It was 28 degrees that morning at eight o'clock Christmas Eve morning. It was 28 degrees outside. It was the mm. coldest winter we had in, they said 30 months or the coldest Christmas. I'm sorry. We had in 30 and 30 years. Um, and we lost a ton of snow. I was out on the water a few days ago, launched at Hallover Canal, which takes you, uh, either to the Indian river or the mosquito lagoon. And it, there was dead snook everywhere. And they were all giant. Oh, at least 30 inches or bigger. Um, saw a bunch of dead Goliaths as well. Uh, haven't seen any dead trout or any dead redfish. They can handle the cold weather um, sure. better. I've got some reports on some dead tarpon. Which I haven't seen yet, but they said where they were. And that's one of the best places. Uh, for me to go for tarpon and so I'm, I'm not surprised that those fish it's deeper water in that spot and i'm not surprised that they were dead there uh, just got so cold so really i think if we can have gradual cold front where the temperature starts to slowly go down they're, they're going to run they're going to move they're going to go to the power plants they're going to go to the through the backcountry creeks up towards nasa or they're going to run south um, i was speaking to a scientist a few days ago who said it's not uncommon for snook to run a hundred miles in a day. And I thought that's crazy, but that they have crazy. tagged them and tracked them going up and down the Indian river. So up my way, all the way down to Stewart, uh, that's a long swim. Then they'll just keep on swimming until they find what they're looking for. But if it drops Golly, too cold, going back to what you asked me originally going, if it's too cold, too fast, we're going to lose those fish. And that tends to happen. We had that in 2009. We had a big freeze. And then 2019, we had another big freeze. Um, the 2009 freeze was bad. We lost a lot of fish. Everything died. There was, everything was dead. Turtles, manatees, dolphins, fish. It was really bad. Um, yeah. And so it, it was so bad throughout the whole state, they actually closed snook for years. So you couldn't keep snook at all. Yeah. Um, 2019, 2019, it happened again, and we, I don't think we caught snook for a few years up the Indian River Lagoon where I'm at. Uh, and then we finally started catching them again. Um, so seeing all those big girls dead, you know, all those big female snook dead uh, this past week, it's terrible. I hate it. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, um, our estuary needs cold water, not for our fish, but to kill the brown algae. Um, where we have a brown algae bloom and it does not like cold water. It thrives in hot water. So the cold, the cold fronts are double-edged sword. If it's too cold, it'll kill a fish, but if it's not cold enough, it won't kill the algae. And we need that algae to die so the water cleans up and gets clear so that sunlight can then penetrate the bottom and you can have photosynthesis can occur right. and that grass that's trying to grow can then get fed and grow. But if it's 
chocolate milk. If you go out there, then it's not happening as much. That sunlight can't get to the bottom. Did, did so, you, how how long of cold like how much cold water do you need? How long of a period of time to have a good kill of that brown algae? Do you know? It it drops really fast out here. So if we can have a couple of weeks of cooler water, you know, in the sixties, it makes a huge difference. It propels us through the summer. Uh, if we don't have enough cold water, as soon as it starts getting hot, if that algae's not completely out, completely dead, it will get hot and it the water temperature goes up, that algae just pops back up. Yeah. This year, up until we had the hurricane uh, Ian and then followed by Hurricane Nicole, we had some of the cleanest water I've seen uh, through the summer in a long time. And we had a lot, a lot of grass growth. But because of the hurricane and all of the, the water being stirred up, all the runoff being dumped in, um, it just got really dark really fast. And a lot of that grass died in the lagoon, um, specifically the mosquito lagoon. But now with this cold front, I'm starting like I was there the other day and I saw new shoots of grass showing up and we're seeing, I'm seeing more and more clean water. In fact, I got a report this morning from a buddy uh, who was fishing more on the northern end of Mosquito Lagoon and he said, man, it was clear everywhere. I'm seeing grass growing back. So yeah, that's great. So again, going back to, uh, it's a a double-edged sword. You want the cold fronts, you want the colder water uh, to help manage and, and fight your brown algae but you don't want it too cold because you don't want to lose your snook and your tarpon right uh, those are they're a lot of fun to catch most definitely yeah that's a bummer man those fish kills uh, we had a little bit of a trout kill up here um in north Carolina. I, I mean very little i heard i was nervous because it did get cold so quick but even up into virginia talking to people in virginia you know seeing a few dead fish but not many it is crazy how resilient um, a trout can be. I mean, they're they're our most fragile fish for sure, as far as North Carolina goes. But redfish, I might have shared this on the podcast before, but the resilience of them, water temperature wise, is incredible. Like I've I've been down in Louisiana and and thrown a fly to a redfish, and it didn't sink because it hit ice. It was sitting on ice on the surface, huh. and the fish swam out from underneath the ice and ate the fly when it fell off the ice. And then I've also huh. seen redfish belly crawling in ninety four degree water. So. And busting yeah. shrimp and eating flies and so it, it just to see it you know a, a redfish is a pretty you know incredible flats fish for for that type of um being able to handle that type of temperature change but yeah. I, w- I wish they all could but if they all could they'd be everywhere and they wouldn't be as like the the um tarpon and the snook wouldn't be as special uh, of a fish if you could catch them everywhere so that's the way it goes. So, what what is your what are some of the tactics that you like to do? I mean, is it a little different for snook and redfish down there? I mean, can you kind of pull the same flats and throw the same baits and, and catch you know all of your inshore fish down there? Yeah, the where it changes is the size. Uh, so, middle of summer, you're going to get pods of large tarpon. So then we change how we fish there. A lot of those times, you're either throwing. Uh, a 12 weight and a, and, a, and a fly at them. Or if you have a guy that's throwing uh, spin, you're throwing big like DOA bait busters um, for a, for like an artificial side, or you're throwing out live mullet. Um, the mullet can be the better way to do it uh, or the more productive way. Right. Um, but I, like I said, I like sight fish and I, I will get out there and, and pull in these four or five feet of water and, Watch them. 
watch them cruise and just be real still. And then they'll, they'll get closer and closer to you and they get happier and happier. And then you cast it out in front of them and watch them react. And if you make the right cast, they're going to react. And that DOA bait buster has that big giant J hook. So when you get a good hook that it, it's going to pin it, it's going to go through. Um, another way of, is throwing top water plug. Now that hookup ratio is a little less because uh, most of your, the, if it's a top water plug with J hooks, it's usually not a big enough J hook. And if it's treble hook, you, you might stick them, but they might shake off. But who cares? I mean, that thing blows it up and then goes bananas for 10 seconds, shaking and thrashing out of the water, and your reel is screaming. I don't care if you didn't land the fish. That was amazing. Right. That was exciting. So those are the few ways we, we go after those. But the smaller ones, the juveniles up to you know, 15, 20 pounds, from 1 to 20 pounds, those are on the same flats as our spreads and snook and trout and flat drum. And you can throw the same. I, I'm a big DOA guy. I throw little three-inch swim bait, little DOA shad tails, as we call it, uh, a paddle tail, um, if you will. And, uh, yeah, you can throw the same ones at those fish, um, and they'll still crush it. Now, you're black. But sometimes, sorry, what are you saying? I would say that sometimes if, if the tarpon are honed in on uh, glass minnows, which happens a lot down here, that fly can be the best way to throw it because it's such a smaller presentation. You're able to throw it further. Um, if you want to have fun and not worry about landing so many fish, beetle spins, like the little bitty bass lure you throw, yeah. those, are, those are amazing because it looks like a, a little pod of, of glass minnows swimming through the water. But what ends, ends up happening every time is that hook becomes a spear and they just bend it out and break it off or, right. or throw it. But it's it's fun. You'll get you'll get bit up a lot throwing a smaller presentation. That's that's cool. Now your black drum there. You talk about those as being one of y'all's y'all's good sight fishable fish. Do they eat artificials pretty pretty willingly down there? No. <laughs> they don't. Okay. They uh, don't have um, poor eyesight. So something stinky is your best bet. But if you can put it in its nose and let it sit, you'll eat it. Um, it's just about the presentation, but I've also had them, I've had them chase down plastic. I've had them like run it down like a redfish. Yeah. It's they're, um, they're that, a funny fish. That, they are a funny fish. That's not the norm. Um, so if you can, it's all about your presentation to be honest. And then if, and if they're not wanting to eat your plastic, if you have some scent you can throw on them, that's a good way to do it. Um, and the next best way is to get a jig head and a fresh dead shrimp. Um, if it's been in and out of your freezer a few times, then it's not good. They're not going to eat it. You're not going to want to eat something that's super nasty. The catfish will eat it, but the, the drum don't. So you can get like live shrimp and then pop their heads off and put it on a jig head. You're going to get some scent, and then you can still side fish them that way. Yeah, that's super cool. Are they a pretty visual fish there? You're able, you see them quite a bit on the flats? Yeah, yeah. When the water's clean, you can see them. You can see them really good. Um, and they're typically in groups. Um, one of the things that we had to combat down here, there's a few commercial netters that come through and that school is, they're typically on high alert. If they've had a net thrown at them or wrapped around them, um, and they didn't get caught there, that school is going to be really freaked out and it can be really bad. Like some days they're just chewing and they're happy. And then here comes the netter and like, you're just like, you start stomping your feet on the boat and you start running circles around because you want them to scoot away and be freaked out and get away from the, these, these commercial guys. Right, um, right. But if you can find them happy, yeah, 
attitude. It's, they're a lot of fun. And sometimes the schools are 20, 30 fish. Um, this time of year, the big ones start breeding out on the flats. And um, so you could find schools of a couple hundred. God, that's um, awesome. Y'all, y'all do days. get – Sorry, what were you saying? I keep interrupting you. Y'all do get big no, big bull black drum and big yeah. bull redfish as well, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've got photos and videos of 50-pound black drum, uh, just 200 of them all sitting together. And then every once in a while, you'll see a redfish tail pop up. They'll just be sitting there feeding and tailing, and you want to fish, but you don't want to fish. Right. You just want right. to watch because it's just so incredible. And then just swing a lure in there and drag it on the bottom. He's going to crush it and eat it take off. That's awesome. Is that is, So yeah. the big fishing that down there for the big black drum and the big redfish, is that seasonal? Is there a time of year that someone should come down there and try that with you, or can, can you stumble into those all year? You can stumble in them across them year-round. Certain times of year, when they're spawning, I, uh, I try not to mess with them. For I want to, sure. you know, we'll catch one or catch one or two, or we'll get, if I have – Depends on how many people I have on the boat. I try to get every person one. And then it's like, all right, let's leave them alone. Let's let them do their thing because I need those fish to be healthy and happy and to reproduce. Um, I had I had a dad and, and two little boys. They were three and five or three and five or four and six. They were young. They were young. I think they were four and six. And uh, boys could throw pretty good. So I had the Zepco 33s, and we were just wrecking the trout. Those schoolie trout, awesome. like I was telling you about before. And we're using the push button, and I hear an explosion, right? And I look over, and it is a wad of giant redfish <laughs> blowing bait up on the surface. And I'm just like, Aah! I can't talk. I'm freaking out. I look at Dad. I'm like, do not throw that rod. And I, I'm going to grab a spinner. I spin around, and I hear, Whoosh! and I'm like, no. And sure enough, the Dad got bit immediately. And that Zebco 33 was screaming. Oh, my god! We had to run that fish down. We fought that fish for like 15 minutes. And uh, you can't see how much line is on your spool on a, on a push button because it's got the cap. Right, right. So we, we were just – I was just trying to stay as close as possible. I'm like, we got to wear this fish out. And then we got the fish in the boat. And it's the biggest fish these kids have – everyone, everyone fought that fish. That rod was passed around. Even I – held the rod for a little bit because the dad was like i'm tired the next boy was i'm tired the next boy, i'm tired i'm like all right well, i'll do it for a minute you guys rest in here but it was it was crazy so yeah those fish can pop up this was during the summer these fish can pop up anytime a That's lot cool. of times uh the black drum and the redfish uh but it's been more of a black drum thing the last few years will be stacked up along the bridges we have several bridges on our uh, lagoon system uh and really the best way to do it is what all of the guys have been doing um, is we will sight fish them with our unit. So we'll side scan the bridge until we find the school. Um, and some days they're happy and chewing and some days they don't want anything to do it. Yeah. Um, but if you can find the school and then it's just a drop your bait down, uh, either a half a blue crab or um, a fresh dead shrimp, something down there that has a good scent and then they munch it. Um, a lot of times, you know, they'll just, they'll get bumped by the lines and take off. A lot of times they'll eat it and they'll run right back into the school and you'll, you'll lose them. But then another one will eat it. So sometimes it's crazy. But the biggest key <laughs> is awesome. turn those drum away from that bridge. If you get them away from the bridge, you're golden. Um, the big drum are a lot different than the redfish. The redfish 
they're going to kick the tails and they're going to fight you. The big drum will kind of, you're kind of lazy. They'll take off, but you can turn them. They're going to take off again and then you can turn them. And then, then they kind of wear out and you, you bring it to the boat. Um, we had a couple years ago, um, we were doing that. And there was five or six of us. But one of the guides, um, he kind of pushed out. And I'm looking over at him like, what is he doing? Like the fish are right here. And then I saw him tell people to cast. And then when the lure hit the water, their bait hit the water, the water erupted. And I was like, really, me guys, we're going over there. And so <laughs> all, everyone kind of went over. There must have been a thousand black drums, all 40 to 60 pounds, not exaggerating, um, on, on number of fish or uh, the size of fish. And it, everybody, everybody hooked up. And they were just floating on the surface. And everyone, and there's seven boats. 15 people fishing, everyone hooks up, everyone's fighting fish, land the fish, take pictures, release them, back onto them, um, and then they just floated away. They disappeared. Yeah. And it was unbelievable. We had so everyone was laughing. Like, I'll never forget that day. And it was in the middle of the summer, slicked out, hot to be, and it was so easy to see these fish. I guess he just turned around and whoa look at the, look look i'm all over there and we all just kind of oh, yeah, yep, yep, let's over there <laughs> we all caught them <laughs> um but that's that's what can happen um yeah. and that can happen year round out here that's something special about our estuary is these fish are residential fish yeah, these they fish live, there. live here and they don't leave they don't go far um they reproduce here they're not running offshore to, to spawn they're doing everything here which is why i'm so committed to fighting for our, our lagoons and, and I'm so passionate about um, fixing our water problems here and I'm so passionate about being catch and release um, not because I don't want you to eat fish I love eating fish um, but because our fish need the opportunity to uh, to rebound our water needs to be fixed and I get the argument all the time well, well if you're just throwing the fish back into dirty water that doesn't fix your dirty water problems you're right it doesn't but at least I can be a good steward of my fish now Definitely. and keep working on the dirty water problem so that when we get our water problem fixed, it's clean, our fish are there and they're going to begin to thrive and be happy again. So that's my mindset. And it's hard to convince that uh, or share that and teach people that um, it takes a lot of work and a lot of convincing. Um, and there's still the old school mentality of, well, you catch it, you kill it, you eat it. Um, but that's not always the, the best practice. You know, those fish are products on a shelf. Those are my products on my shelf. And if I keep depleting my shelves of products for me to sell to my clients, well, I'm eventually going to run out. Right. So I want to continue to have those experiences for my clients. But more importantly, I want my kids to have those experiences out on the water. I don't need to catch another fish. I, I want to continue to catch fish, but I don't need to catch another fish. But my kids, they need to catch I want them to experience these, these stories. I want them to have their own stories with me and with their kids. And that's not going to happen if we're not fighting for our fish. So what are the, the issues that your fate that the, so it would, would I, am I calling it right? If I'm saying like, what are the issues the Indian river lagoon and the mosquito lagoon are facing right now? Water wise. Like what are the, some of the, so the things that you, you're fighting for? So there's a few things going on. Um, first off is, is manatee. Manatees are great. Don't don't hear me incorrectly. I'm not against the manatees. But our manatees are eating so much grass. And they, they're eating 
thousands and thousands of pounds of grass every single day. They're well, eating the that, that is, turtle grass that you'll have there? Correct. And what yeah. the problem is, it's the turtle grass, the wigeon grass. The problem is we don't have any more grass. So now our manatees are dying. And the solution um, by our local governments is to feed the manatees. Well, that's not how you fix the problem. We need to figure out why do we not have grass and why are our manatees not naturally migrating like they used to do years past. And the issue there is they're being fed, A, uh, and B, they're all going to the power plant. So when we have power plants along the river and the power plants have warm water discharge. So wintertime, the hottest water around is at the power plant. So they shut it off to people, to anglers and boats because the manatees all pile in there because it's hot, plus that's where they're feeding them. So our manatees are, are an issue that we're working on. But it's, we have to be strategic here because we're, I'm not against the manatees. I've had many a manatee save a trip in the sense that my clients are having a, we're having a tough day. It's fishing. That happens. And then they see the manatees and they're super excited. And that, that right. changes the whole attitude of the trip. Of the trip. And then attitude of everyone on the boat, everyone kind of relaxes. And then we go back out and then we catch fish. So manatees have been a lot of good for me and my business. But at the same time, we're not, we're doing them a disservice if we're not addressing issues and not helping them migrate naturally. If we're just feeding, we're putting a bandaid on a situation um, that's going to take a whole lot more than a bandaid. It's essentially Uh, training them and encouraging them to be lazy. It feels like if they're, if they're going there to that warm water that's close by and feeding them, then then they'll never migrate. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, it's a tough love. I, it's not that I don't want the manatees, but I want them to get back to their natural progression of migrating south to the warm water. That's going to give them a food source down south. Plus, it's going to allow our food source, our grass, to grow and thrive so that when they return, there's food for them. Because they're not dying from boat hitting them. They're dying from, uh, from starving. Uh, wow. And then wintertime, you get our winter lows, uh, water gets pushed south. It's not raining. There's no tide where, where I'm at, North Indian River, and in the middle to south part of the Mosquito Lagoon. There's, there's no tide. So where there's cold fronts, the water gets flushed out of our system. It gets dropped. And so now the manatees can't even reach the leaves on the mangroves. So they're starving. So that's, that's one of our problems. The second issue we're having, uh, and this is in no particular order, but another issue we're having is uh, sewage issues between septic um, sewage systems through the city that are uh, uh, falling apart. They're they're not made for the number of people we have. Plus, they were put in how many years ago, and they're just antiquated. They're falling apart, and those need to be replaced. The septic tanks need to be taken out. City sewage needs put in. So we're talking a lot of infrastructure. We're talking a lot of money. We're talking a, a lot of, of time to replace all of these systems. But in the meantime, the, the, a lot of what we're seeing is that the local governments are then saying, well, we have an overflow of sewage, so let's accidentally, quote unquote, jump into the river. And that happens more often than you think. Wow. Um, and it's so sad. It's not, listen, when you, when you fillet a fish and there's corn in the fish's belly, think through that for a second. <laughs> there's a big reason why we've stopped keeping fish. And the big reason why we've advocated for that is because they're, they're not swimming in water that 
people should eat. And right. so that's, that's a big problem. Yeah, and then a third crazy. one, which is going to be really difficult for us to, to tackle, um, is every time there's a, a launch of a rocket, which I grew up watching the shuttles. I grew up watching these, these rockets go up. Love it. It's so cool. But the frequency of these launches are a detriment to our systems. Water, uh, chemicals are being placed in our waters because of these launches. Uh, and because of the location of the launch. So if we can really tackle the next two, the first two and really get a hold of that, then the third part of it won't be as bad, but still something we need to work on. But they're, they're talking about this year doing a hundred launches a year, which is, you know, almost two a week. Um, so there's that side of it, but there's, there's a lot that's going on in the state. Yesterday, the governor, um, pledged $3.5 billion for water restoration projects in the state of Florida, a hundred million of which each year, this is for four years, uh, is to go to the Indian River Lagoon system, wow, which is that's incredible. Peter Lagoon, Indian River Lagoon, and Banana River Lagoon. So, so yeah, a hundred million dollars a year. So $400 million for the next four years to help aid pay for these projects and, and to fix some more problems. So we are taking slow steps in the right direction. And like I said, this year we had some, some of the cleanest water we've seen, clearest water we've seen up until the hurricane. So we're trying to get things right. Um, we've been, we've, I've been pushing for uh, with uh, the Florida Guides Association. I'm on the board there. We have been uh, going to lots and lots of FWC meetings, advocating for uh, best practices and advocating for conservation changes, but science-based conservation changes, such as catch and release in the Mosquito Lagoon for redfish. Um, Another organization, part of the Lagoon Waterman Alliance, same deal. We are we are putting together a plan, an execution plan, not an execution plan. That's not the right way to say it. That sounds like murder. But a plan <laughs> to fix some of our problems and how we can scientifically address some of these problems and 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 get stakeholder uh, uh, conversation going. You know, we want people, we want stakeholders involved. We want anglers involved um, because this is about fixing our problems so where we can continue to to use Florida's natural uh, resources uh, in a responsible stewardship way. So yeah, there's a there's a lot going on down here. Um but don't hear me incorrectly, we're still going fishing. We're still having a great time. We're Definitely. still finding fish that are willing to eat and uh, willing to have a good time. Um but I'm passionate about that because like I said, I want my kids experience i want your kids to come down and go fishing with my kids and have a good time for sure and, and i think as a guide it's part of our job like yeah we don't want to scare people away from our fisheries because of issues we're having but but we have that platform of of clients anglers on our boats that that need to hear you know what's happening and the actual truths about our fisheries and the management yeah. of them and everything so i think it's so important and um yeah that's and that's, i have that conversation every day on my boat and a lot Every day with people who get mad because I'm catching release and they don't want to book me. I lose a lot of charters because I'm catching release. Yeah. But it gives me an opportunity to kind of, hey, I totally get it. You know, charters aren't cheap. Right. Charters are a luxury. Um, and so having a meal, being able to bring home fish for a meal, totally get that. Like, like I said, I love eating fish. Um, but right now, if I don't, if I, like I said, if I don't take care of the products on my shelf, we're not going to have those in the future. So uh, Dave Ramsey, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan. 
And he says, live like no one else, that you can live like no one else. And right now I'm having, trying to live like no one else so that later on we can live like no one else. I say that saying quite a bit myself. I like the, that old Dave Ramsey saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it really is a good one. It's funny that you said that because I was actually saying that like two days ago. <laughs> but um, More than just financials, you know. Exactly. It, exactly. it really does. Yep. Well, man, thank you so much for hopping on. Is there anything that I missed, anything we missed conversation in this conversation that you, that you want to bring up? Uh, well, selfishly, let me plug the show. Oh, I, yeah, that was that I was love, already get something that was that was going to be on my closing, but we can go ahead and jump into it. I um, it, it's been a fun ride. We we just filmed episode forty, uh, which is a finale for season four. That'll come out here very soon, um, and then we're gonna take a, a little bit of time off because it's cold, and I don't like cold. I'm a Florida boy, and I hate the cold. <laughs> Too cold <laughs> to fish, man. I don't like it. Um, but in the late spring we're going to start filming um season five and we're going to start releasing those pretty quick early summer so uh it's been a it's been a fun journey and i'm I'm so thankful to have people watching and tagging along as we are adding new entries to the captain's blog and it's named the show the captain's blog it's available on waypoint tv and if you're not familiar with waypoint tv if you like to hunt and you like to fish it is your one-stop shop for fishing and hunting content. And more than just my show, there's tons of great shows on Waypoint. So go and binge all of my episodes and go and binge all of Jay Withers' episodes and all these other shows that are out there. There's a lot of great, great content on Waypoint. There is, man. There really is. It's a, it is a cool, cool platform to consume fishing and hunting content. Like a, yep. like a fatty, <laughs> just as, yep. anything yep. you could want. <laughs> and this year we're, we're going to be pushing a lot towards our YouTube channel. A lot of how to's, a lot of educational stuff because I want anglers. I'm still that teacher at heart. I want anglers to get better. The, the better you are, the better prepared you are, the better you're going to be out on the water. Uh, so we have a, a, a laundry list of how to videos that we are working on right now so that we can educate that angler to go out there and be the best they possibly can when they go fishing because we want you to have the best experience you can you can have when you're out in the water definitely i think that's awesome that is uh that's really cool and what uh what's your youtube channel called for so people can find it is it captain's log yeah yeah it's the captain's log tv okay. all of our social media is the same instagram is the captain's log tv facebook captain's log tv and youtube the captain's log tv Awesome. Well, guys, I'm going to link all that in the show notes as well. But if people do want to get up with you to book a trip, and remember, he's close to Disney World, so you no longer have to go on that Disney family vacation and just go to Disney World. Now you can fish with Jonathan while you're down there for bass, or if you want to make a little longer drive to to do some saltwater. But how can people get up with you just in the realm of uh, as your fishing guide business? Oh, absolutely. Go Castaway Fishing Charters is in my fishing company. You can go to gocastaway.com or hit me up on uh, social media at, at gocastaway and we can get you squared away and figure out the right trip for you. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, you guys. Like I said, I'll have all Jonathan's information linked below in the show notes. But thank you for checking out this uh, latest episode of Eastern Current, and we will see you all next week. Later. See ya.